This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I think we should sign Diva up for the understatement of the year. Have we all suffered through something? I think it's called COVID. If there was ever a time when we could relate to this, it would be now. So I just want to say a personal welcome to all of you. My name is Ron, as Diva just said. And there's something you should know about me if you're new, because I'm going to say some things as I teach us this morning, and this will give you the context for that. Uh, I happen to be the founding pastor of this church, and there's a very special relationship that, that takes place between the founding pastor of the church and the people of the church. And the reason I say that to you is the book of Philippians is actually a four-page letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that he founded. So you're going to see that relationship taking place between Paul and the people of this church. I want to say a couple of other things before I actually get into teaching. If you have the opportunity to do it and you live in this area, I want to encourage you to come to all the Sundays of this series because they will build one on top of the other. And this is such a rich book. Paul writes this book after the best that we can tell, after he's been in prison for several years. And yet, more than all the other letters that he writes, and for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, a big portion of the latter part of the Bible that's often called the New Testament, a big portion of that part of the Bible was written by, by this guy Paul. And yet in this book, in this letter that we call Philippians, there is more joy wrapped up in this book than probably all of the other letters that Paul wrote. And yet, he's been in prison for several years. And it's important that you and I know that because then we have the context to actually hear and understand what he has to say to us. Now, Paul makes it very clear, and you will see this theme over and over in this book. And that is, you and I come to these forks in the road, these moments of decision, many times through our lives. Now, the bigger ones are a little bit easier to identify. The smaller ones are a little harder. Let me give you an example of a smaller one. You're driving down the road and the jerk in the left lane cuts you off. That's a fork in the road. You have an opportunity to make a decision. And you know what? There are always two decisions to make. And the one decision is what we would call a human decision. These are the things that come naturally to us. They require less work and less discipline. And then there is the Jesus way, and it's not natural to us, and it usually requires more work 
and more discipline. So the jerk cuts you off. What's the human way? I call it the blare and glare. You blare on the horn and you glare at them as you speed by. And because you're a Christian, you choose not to give them the one finger salute. And you pat yourself on the back because you're a Christian and you didn't do that. And then there's the Jesus way. Which might be a little friendly honk that makes them aware of what they just did. And a wave that lets them know you're okay with it. Now here's the interesting thing. Doing the human thing requires little work, little effort. It's very natural to us, but there's a huge, huge price to pay. You want to know what it is? It doesn't transform us because we're just doing what's natural to us. Here's the great thing about the Jesus way. When we choose it, it actually has the power to transform us. So as we get into this, this letter that this founding pastor writes to this church that he loves very deeply, over and over again, he's going to point to the human way and he's going to point to the Jesus way. And I just want to say, without apology, and actually with all the excitement that I have, one of the things I love about New Life is every single time we meet, we get the opportunity to invite all of us into the Jesus way. Are you on board with that? Yeah. That's actually what church is supposed to be. So now I just want to read this passage to us, and then I'm going to go back and pull four excerpts from this, from this first page of Paul's letter, and we're going to take a look, a brief look, and how those might look and work in our lives. So the letter starts like this. It says, From Paul and Timothy, both of us servants of Jesus, the anointed one. Now the anointed one literally means when a person was anointed back in that day, they had oil poured over their head, and they were actually set apart to a particular office or responsibility. Okay? The actual Greek word... For anointed one is Christos, from which we get what word? Christ, right? So there you go. To all his devoted followers in Philippi. Philippi is a city in northeastern Greece today, including your pastors and to all the servant leaders of the church. May the blessings of divine grace and supernatural peace that flow from God, our wonderful Father, and our Messiah, the Lord Jesus, cascade over you. Does that sound beautiful? Yeah, it's wonderful. Let's go on and read. Listen, my prayers for you are full of praise to God as I give him thanks for you with great joy. I am so grateful for our union and our enduring partnership that began the first time I shared the gospel with you. Can you see a founding pastor 
writing to people he loves. Yeah. There's such a deep relationship. Can I just say, I just want to say something. As you read through this, this is a letter that I would write to you. It's a letter filled with love. It's a letter filled with gratitude. It's a letter filled with partnership. And Paul is writing it to a church he founded. And he has the same heart. Uh, hopefully, I have the same heart that he has. He goes on to say, I pray with great confidence because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this gracious work in you will continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, it is so, it's no wonder I pray with such confidence because you have a permanent place in my heart. You have remained partners with me in the wonderful grace of God, even though I am here in chains for standing up for the truth of the gospel. And he goes on to say, only God knows how much I dearly love you with the tender affection of Jesus, the anointed one. I have something to share with you. About three weeks ago, we laid out a project for our church. And it was this idea of going down into Mexico and building two homes for homeless families and working with an orphanage or two nearby and helping establish a brand new church. And uh, we just threw it out there and said, hey, we'd like to take a bunch of people. And you know what? 33 of you have said, count me in. That's awesome. Don't you think? Absolutely. It's one of the things that I love about our church. We are willing to go and do things and make sacrifices for the good of other people. I see that in Paul as he writes to the, his friends in Philippi. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and depth of insight. Now he said, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand what really matters and what's best so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day that Christ returns. And you will be completely filled with the fruits of righteousness that are found in Jesus, the anointed one, bringing great praise to the glory of God. That's the whole. By the way, Diva encouraged you to read this entire. That's one quarter of the book. Okay. It's beautiful. It's rich. And there's way more in there than we can actually dig into in the next 20 minutes, okay? But we are going to lift four excerpts from that, and we're going to actually dig into what that might look like in our lives. So the first excerpt is this one. May the blessings of divine grace and supernatural peace that flow from, from God, our wonderful Father, and our Messiah, the Lord Jesus, cascade over you. I know that you know this because you have lived this out in real life. Every single one of us carries about us a presence. Some people call it an aura. 
Some people call it an energy. Some people call it a personal culture. Um, it's just something we carry with us. And it always is flowing from us. This is the reason why, and I don't know who invented this statement, but it's pretty funny. Some people brighten the room by entering it, others by leaving. <laughs> it's all about that personal presence that you and I carry. Now, listen, God has a personal presence. And there's this thing that always is flowing from him. Think of it as a waterfall that never shuts off. It is part of God's nature. And Paul refers to it here. He calls it divine grace and supernatural peace. I don't know about you, but if I could sit under a waterfall, I'd like that one. Yeah. And here's the great thing. That waterfall is available to you and to me all the time. Never shuts off. God's presence is always available to us. So we're going to do something. You don't have to do this. I'm going to invite you to do it if you want to. Okay? Um, some of our wonderful Jesus follower friends have this thing that they do, and they turn the palms of their hands up in a gesture of receiving something from God. And so if you're game for it, I want to invite you to turn your palms up, close your eyes, and we're going to let God's divine grace and supernatural peace cascade over us. So God, here we sit. Our hands are open to you. In our minds, we travel to a beautiful waterfall and, and we climb back in and we sit under its refreshing waters. And God, you have promised that supernatural grace and that, that divine peace flow from you. So God, I pray right now for those of us who are really struggling. Maybe it's the grief of having lost a loved one. Maybe it's the diagnosis of a, of a disease that threatens our lives. Maybe it's the loss of a job or income. It, it could be anything. God, would you cascade over us your divine grace and your supernatural peace? God, maybe what we brought in here with us today is the guilt of a sin that has plagued us. And even as we sit here, it, there's a voice inside us that says, you don't deserve God's grace. You're a hypocrite for even being here. Would you wash 
that voice away with your divine grace and assure us that no matter what we've done, there is forgiveness for you have forgiveness for that. Or God, maybe we brought in here, we drove in in a brand new car and we got a new job and a raise and life is great and maybe for the moment we think we could live apart from your divine grace and your supernatural peace. Would you pull us back into reality that we are just humans and that there's still plenty of brokenness in us and would you cascade over us your divine grace and supernatural peace. Father, we soak in it. We thank you for it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Excerpt number two. Paul says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. There's the word overflow. You're going to see it several times. That's why it's the title. Overflow more and more that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and depth of insight. Now, there's a connection in this verse that is hard for me to make. And oftentimes, I struggle to make it. There are many times when I feel like I'm caught in a tension between love and knowledge or truth. And here's sort of where that comes to play. And when we're all, we all do this. So there's somebody in our life that we very dearly love, but there's a truth we need to say to them that's going to be hard to receive. Can you relate to that? Yeah, we're, we, we get there often, right? And so I'm caught in the struggle between, do I just dump the truth on them and hope they can handle it? Or do I water down the truth with my love um, and, and hold back some of the truth? Now, Paul says here that there is a connection between our love overflowing and our knowledge or truth and depth of insight. And here's what I want to propose to us. Virtually everyone I know wants to be wiser and wants to make better decisions and wants to have better people, people skills and wants to know how to have these awkward conversations but have them well. What Paul is saying is before you sit and chew on a piece of unpleasant truth, by the way, when you sit on a piece of unpleasant truth, you know what it's like? It's like a piece of cheap meat. The longer you chew on it, the bigger it gets. Yeah. Before you sit and chew and stew on this thing, come over here and chew on your love for that person. Now, let me tell you an agreement I have in my life, okay? And it's an agreement that I believe God brought me two years ago. And I just want to pass it on to you as a hint, okay? If I have to have an, what might be a possible volatile or unpleasant conversation with you, here's my litmus test for my own heart. 
until my love for you is greater than my disappointment in you about this, I cannot talk with you about it. But when my love for you overshadows my disappointment, I now have the right context that I can sit down with you with this deep sense of love that I have for you. And when that happens, you and I can talk about most anything. Does that make sense to everybody? That's actually what Paul is saying. It's not until our love overflows that we have a foundation for any real knowledge or depth of insight. Because no matter what you know, it makes no difference until you put it in the people business. And you cannot function with people when your desire to straighten them out is greater than your desire to love them. I could just drop the mic and we could go home, right? Yeah. That's what Paul is saying here. Let's go to insight number three. It's so good. Excerpt number three is this. I want you to understand what really matters and what is best so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Wow. I want you to understand what really matters. Did you know that every day that is an inescapable question that you answer? Every day you get out of bed. You, you might not consciously answer it, but you're actually asking yourself what really matters. And you are structuring your day around what really matters. And there's no shortage of voices that will yell at you at what really matters. I mean, turn on your TV, every commercial it is a cry for something that really matters. That you can't live without. Or you can't afford to live without. Or maybe more accurately, you can't afford to live with. There are all these voices. And listen, you might think, I don't pay attention to that. Okay, here's another principle of life. Unless you intentionally choose the voice that tells you what really matters, then the strongest voice in you will rise up and take control. It could be the voice of your father could be the voice of your mother, could be the voice of your sister, it could be the voice of a teacher, could be the voice of a bully uh, on the playground, it could be the voice, who knows? Whatever is kind of the naturally strongest voice in your life will rise up and it will tell you what really matters. Even if it doesn't really matter. Paul knew that. And he said, oh, I want you to understand when it comes to life, what really matters. And he goes on to say, and what is best? You see, sometimes we're concerned about what's right or wrong, or we're concerned about, will God be okay with this? I just want to say, let's be less concerned about that. 
let's be way more concerned about what's best. Because if it's best, it'll be good. And it'll be better than okay. And God will certainly be okay with it. And when our love for people overflows and our love for God overflows, there's this amazing thing that happens. We end up loving ourselves in the best and healthiest way. And when that platform is in our life, we now have the basis upon which to know what is actually what really matters and to know what is actually good and best. And the result is, we end up living pure and blameless. Not perfect, blameless, okay? There's still plenty of brokenness in us. But we'll be pure and blameless. Now let's go to excerpt number four. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a verse in there I wanted, I wanted to share with you. Jesus was talking about this when he said to the people who were listening to him this day, listen, I have come that you may have life and have it how? To the fullest. I, I want you to know that's one of my anchor verses in life. I think of that verse day after day after day. And when I'm struggling to do things the Jesus way or the human way, I try to think of that verse and realize the Jesus way is the way that leads me to the fullest kind of life. And the human way leads me to the broken kind of life. Even though it seems natural and it seems right in the moment. Now excerpt number four. I pray with great confidence, Paul says, because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this gracious work in you will continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's so much that just that verse is a whole teaching and beyond in and of itself. But let's let's start with what is the baseline of that verse that if you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus, that Jesus is actually working inside you always. There's never a moment in your life, even when you're mad at him, even when you struggle to believe in him, Jesus is always at work in your life. And Paul said, because I know that Jesus is at work in your life. Well, look at this. I know Jesus, and I'm confident he's not going to give up on you. There's never a day when Jesus is going to say, and throw down whatever he's got in his hands and say, that's it. I'm out of here. I can't take this anymore. He doesn't have that gear. <coughs> he doesn't ever do that. Paul said, I'm confident that the one who began this gracious work in you is going to keep doing it. And there's this continual process of maturing. Well, as I took that verse and I began to 
just go back and review in my mind the, the ministry of Jesus and how Jesus interacted with people. I realized that there were three very, very strong undercurrents that actually carried Jesus in his interaction with people. And they, they are the principles that governed the choices that he made on how he interacted with people. In my mind, I call them the way of Jesus. And in my mind, I hear Jesus saying to me, Ron, would you invite these three undercurrents in your life? And would you build your life around the flow of these principles? So here they are. The first undercurrent that Jesus had is every person he encountered, he basically gave them this message. You are loved. I don't care who you are. You are loved. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your social status is or isn't. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. I don't care what your last name is or isn't, or even if you don't have a last name, I don't care. If you, <clears throat> if you are a living, breathing human being, you, my friend, are loved. And it wasn't a perfunctory love. It was so deep that the people who came into his presence felt like they were a personal treasure. Tenderly loved. You see it in Paul when he wrote, do you see with what tender affection I write to you? You are loved. By the way, I would like to say to you that these three statements uh, you will soon find on the walls of our church at some point because this is the heartbeat of our church as we follow Jesus. And I hope that as you entered this place today, I hope that in some way or another, we were able to say to you, you are a personal treasure. You are deeply loved. That's the way of Jesus. The second strong undercurrent is this. We are all in process. And you see underneath that, this idea of progressive transformation that we are continually being changed. Paul wrote, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will continue to carry it on. In other words, this is progressive transformation. And you know what? That is great news because no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and no matter what you struggle with, what Jesus offers you is progressive transformation that brick by brick, day by day, deed by deed, he will begin to transform you. But there's some bad news in that too. You know what it is? Because our transformation is progressive. There's always a part of us that's not transformed yet. And that's where life gets messy. 
So as you interact with me, I hope you can see parts of me that have been transformed by Jesus and I hope that they become inspirational to you. But as you interact with me, you're going to see parts of me that are not yet transformed, that are still very human. And that's where I hope that you have grace for me. Because every one of us in this room is partially transformed. Are you on board with that? And that's why we have to look at each other with grace. It's why we sat in the presence of God and said, God, would you cascade over me your divine grace? Not so that I can just soak it in, but so I can carry your divine grace and I can extend it to the people in my world because they're all as broken as I am in some places in their life and they're going to need that grace. And then the third major undercurrent that was in Jesus' life was this idea that anything is possible. Anything. That there is infinite promise. And that's why no matter what you're struggling with, you may have come today just hanging by a thread. God has a message for you. Jesus said it like this one day to his followers. Humanly speaking, they had asked him a question. He said, humanly speaking, this is what? Impossible. But with God, everything is what? Possible. Everything. As we close, I want to tell you about a time in my life where I, when I didn't get this right. The year was 2010. And we were facing something in this church that I knew would be volatile and I knew some real people were going to get hurt. And I knew I had to make a decision that I didn't want to have to make. And no matter how I looked at that decision, I, I, I saw no, no good results. I spent sleepless nights. I cried out to God and... <laughs> I didn't get it right. And I just started going down a spiral. And the more I thought about it, the bigger that problem got and the bigger that problem got, the more I thought about it until eventually I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't eat right. Uh, eventually I was in full-scale depression and it took me out of the game and the depression got so deep that I remember one day when everyone was out of the house I sat down at the dining room table in our house and I prayed for God to take my life. And I met every word of it. You see, I knew something that a lot of people didn't know. I knew that our church at that point had a million dollar life insurance policy on me. And my reasoning was, God, if you took my life, the church would have a million dollars to find somebody a whole lot better than me. I knew that my family had a significant life insurance policy on me that would pay off the house and leave Monica with, with extra income. And I thought, Monica would be better off without me. I couldn't see a way forward. And in my 
broken humanness. I bowed my head and said, God, take me out. And I waited. And he didn't. And then God said, Ron, I have something for you. And he said, I don't want you to ever forget this. And here was the huge takeaway. And I want to tell you, my life has never been the same since. It was a life-changing moment for me. God said, Ron, when you can't see a way forward, I always have one. Are you on board with that? Yeah. With God, everything is possible. And in the end, God redeemed that thing that I couldn't see a way forward and did the most beautiful and wonderful thing for our church that no one would have guessed. It was truly divine. You are loved. We're all in process. And anything's possible. Would you say those out loud with me, please? I want us to get those down. Ready? You are loved. We're all in process. Anything's possible. Let's say it again. You are loved. We're all in process. Anything is possible. As we close, I feel like there are four wonderful invitations that need to be extended to all of us. Okay? And they're simple, and I won't spend a lot of time on each one. Even if you're not ready to accept them, I want you to at least take the next few moments, and those of you viewing online, you, you, you don't get a shortcut out of this. Whatever you're doing, if you're washing dishes or whatever you're doing while you're watching, could you just step aside for a minute and go sit and have some quiet time and consider these four possible responses? And the first is this. I will acknowledge and accept your work in my life. Friend, I don't care if you don't even believe in Jesus. He is already at work in your life. To some degree, if he wasn't, you wouldn't be here. He's already at work in your life. This is just a simple statement that says, you know what? I'm going to acknowledge that truth. And the second one is, well, if God is at work in my life, if Jesus is doing something in here, it might be a good idea for me to look and see what he's doing. Don't you think that makes sense? That way, maybe I could be more open to it and get more intentional about it. So the second one is, I will look for where you're working in my life. And the third is this. I will do my best to align myself with what you're doing in my life. If I feel like God is moving me this direction, well, maybe one of the smartest things I could do is sort of get myself aimed that direction and start walking. Yeah, I will align myself. But if you haven't looked for where, where God's working in your life, you have no idea where to turn, correct? Yeah, so this comes out of that. I'll align myself to the best of my abilities. I'll align myself with what you're doing in my life. And then the last one, and it may be the most important one, is this. No matter what comes my way in life, 
I will never allow myself to believe that you're not working in me. Friends, all of us are going to encounter those times in life when we feel like a tidal wave of opposition or challenge has come into our life. And we all know people who have actually asked this question, why would God do that to me? Or why would God allow that to happen to me? Here's an agreement I have with myself. I know that God is already at work in my life. And I know that God is for me. So I will never allow myself to believe that somehow God gave up on me. Five different times in Scripture, God gives us these exact words. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And on page after page of Scripture, that very principle is indirectly communicated as well. And perhaps the greatest thing that you and I could believe is that no matter what comes our way in life, God never gives up on us. There's a song the band is going to sing. And I want us to receive it as if in your mind you could picture this is God singing, maybe an angel or two singing with him. But this is God singing this truth over us. I'm going to step over here. I'm going to have my own moment with God. I want to encourage you to have your moment with God. And if it helps you, turn the palms of your hands up and say, God, I receive this promise from you. In a simple sentence, God says, I won't let go. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.